0: Well, good morning, friends. It is so great to be back with you here at Scottsdale Bible Church. My name is Mike Burnage. Nice to see all of you with us. And I wanna uh, just welcome all of you here at the Northridge campus, and those of you watching over at Grace Chapel at the Shea campus, and those of you watching at home as well, we're so excited you could be a part of this very, very special weekend. It's special for two reasons. Special number one is we've just gotten to witness, and we're in the process of witnessing uh, uh, 250 people being baptized. Isn't that amazing? Boy, we thank the Lord for that. And it's also special because this is one of the big, heavy-duty holidays, right? Everybody knows, man, you go into Walmart, you go into Target, everybody's talking about Palm Sunday, right? Not really, are they? Yeah, you go outside the walls of a church, and the chances are, if you were to ask people, what are the five biggest holidays, Palm Sunday would be nowhere to be found. Nobody goes to palm parties, nobody makes palm pies for each other. doesn't work like that, does it? But sadly, not only is Palm Sunday not a big deal outside the church, but it's not a big deal frequently inside the church as well, and that's unfortunate. And today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk a little bit about the famous story of Palm Sunday, the day Jesus made the triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, the day that, that people waved palm branches and sang out Hosanna. And they they pronounced the coming of their king. We're going to talk about that. And so just real briefly, let me give you four just quick reasons why this is such a big deal from God's point of view. Why Palm Sunday is a big deal. First reason is this, is that Palm Sunday is one of those few events that's recorded in each of the four Gospels. Uh, Many of the events that you see in the story of Jesus, the story of Zacchaeus, the story of of him calling certain of his disciples, only appears in one, two, or three. But the story of Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, is recorded in all four of the Gospels with great detail. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because 500 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9 verse 9 says, listen, a Messiah is going to come and you guys aren't going to know the right one from the wrong one unless you follow the signs, unless you know what prophecies apply to the coming Messiah. And Zechariah predicted one way you'll know the coming Messiah, the coming king, is by the vehicle by which he travels into the city of Jerusalem. He's not coming in a limo. He's not coming in a chariot. He's not coming on a white horse. This Messiah is going to come into the city of Jerusalem riding a small, young donkey colt. That seems very unusual, but what Jesus was going to do is he was going to proclaim not only his royalty, but his humility, and so it's a big deal. Third reason Palm Sunday is a big deal is it's the first event recorded in something known as Holy Week. You know, the the Gospels record about 33 years' worth of the life of Jesus, But almost 40% of the Gospels are devoted to one week out of those 33 years in the life of Jesus, and it's this thing called Holy Week, and Holy Week begins with the event we're talking about today, Palm Sunday. But the fourth reason that Palm Sunday is a big deal is what we're going to talk about in in the next 20 minutes or so that we have together. Palm Sunday is an incredibly important event because it paints a picture of what is the job description of somebody who claims to be a highly devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, you know, when you talk about fans, when you talk about followers, uh, you know, there, there are good followers and bad followers. You know, my, my kids claim that I'm a really bad fan because uh, I'll be watching a, a basketball game with them, and if my team gets behind by 10 or 20 points, uh, I, you know, in the first quarter, I'm saying, that's it, it's over. And my kids are saying, Dad, come on, you're a fair-weather fan. I go, I know it, I'm a bad fan, but, you know, it's, it's over. Well, guys, that's a bad fan, but you know what, there's also good fans. And when you think of really good fans, I think of this picture here. Remember these guys? Uh, they used to be on Saturday Night Live, the super fans, and they would sit around a table eating polar sausage, and they would be debating uh, about the, the, you know, the wonderful Chicago Bears, and they would talk about things. And one of the things that I remember, their, their memorable uh, uh, episodes one time, was they were having a big debate on if God played Mike Ditka, uh, the, the, the coach of the Chicago Bears, if God played Mike Ditka in football, who would win? Remember that one? And they concluded that God would win, but it'd be a close game. I always like that on that side. Well, they're super fans, right? Well, guys, the reality is is there are good fans and bad fans, uh, good and bad sports fans, but there are good and bad spiritual fans as well. And I think of that because uh, a study was done in 2016 by sociologist George Barna, and he went out and he asked 5,100 Americans, who do you identify with or what do you identify with when it comes to your religion or your spiritual life? And he came up with this uh, um, amazing thing, and he says there were two surprise findings. In fact, I have this for you, is 73% of Americans say that they identify with Christianity. They identify with Christ. They follow Christ. And what Barnes says was so shocking about that is it had dropped from 83% just about 10 years earlier. Secondly, he said 20% have no religious identity whatsoever. That number has grown steadily over the last 10 to 20 years. And so he was shocked by that. But guys, I want to tell you what I'm shocked at. I'm shocked by the fact that 73% of Americans claim to follow Jesus Christ, yet we have so little impact, so little influence on our culture. That's the real shocker. And so the question comes is, why is that? How can a country that has 73% of the people who say they follow Jesus Christ, how can those followers of Christ have such little impact? And here's the answer. Is they're following the right person in the wrong way? And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about how can you follow the right person, Jesus, in the right way. And if you're taking notes today, is inside your worship folder, I have a little outline. And there's four things that the story of Palm Sunday teach teach us. Four things that we're going to learn today that reminds us of what is the job description of someone who is a highly devoted follower of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. Number one is this. Is highly devoted followers of Jesus, number one, practice the art of radical obedience. They practice the art of radical obedience. Now, this question about obedience, whenever that comes up, you talk about obedience, there's two questions you have to ask. And and I'd like you to write these down in the first point. Question number one is this Who will I obey? Question number one Who will I obey? Question two is this How will I obey? Who will I obey and how will I obey? Let's look at the first question first. Who will I obey? Uh, I've got a little chart up uh, behind me on on the screen here that, that shows three different circles because each one of us needs to realize that we have three different agendas for our life. Agenda number one is the one on the bottom right side, which is you. You have an agenda for your life. Your agenda may be, you know what, I want to go to this college, I want to major in this subject, I want to get out and get this job, I want to marry this person, I want to buy this house. That's the agenda that I have for my life. But right next to it is another circle, and that's other people. Because guys, other people have an agenda for your life as well. And sometimes your agenda for your life and other people's agendas for your life are not the same. But you notice at the top, there is a third circle. And the third circle is Jesus. Jesus has an agenda for your life as well. Let me tell you how this works in, in real time. Last Monday night uh, was the NCAA College Finals, and so I, I got home, and at 6 o'clock, I turned the television set on, I, I, I got my recliner, you know, all warmed up, and so I, I was all excited about the, watching the game, and the agenda for my Monday night was I wanted to watch this basketball game between Virginia and Texas Tech. That was my agenda. Well, at 6.05, five minutes after the game starts, is Mary walks into the room and she says, hey, Mike, you need to go start the grill and start grilling the hamburgers because the kids are coming over to watch the game with you. So I had an agenda to watch the, the, the basketball game. My wife had an agenda for me to, to cook the hamburgers for the basketball game. And so you know what I did? I said, you know, Mary, I've heard the head coach of Virginia uh, is a solid evangelical Christian, and I think that means that Jesus' agenda for me is that I should watch this game. Mary's response was, if you don't get out there, you're going to go meet Jesus really quick. <laughs> I went out and cooked the, uh, the, the hamburgers in the grill after that, right? Well, guys, what I want to show by that is sometimes your agenda and Jesus' agenda and other people's agenda, sometimes they line up, sometimes they're the same things, but other times they're not. And when they're not, you have to answer this question. Who will I follow? Who will I obey? And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's going to be time said so his agenda is not your agenda, but you choose to follow his. Now, the second question we talked about in this first point, though, is this. And that's not who will I follow, but how will I follow? How will I obey? Because, you see, it's possible to be a neighbor but not a good neighbor, or a brother but not a good brother, and it's possible to be a follower of Jesus but not a good follower of Jesus. And so there's three quick questions you can ask yourself. Question number one uh, as to whether I'm, I'm a good one or a bad one in terms of how will I obey is am I going to obey completely or selectively? Part of the reason that, that number is so big, 73% of the people claim they follow Jesus, but we have so little impact, is because we follow him selectively. We, we, we take this part, it's kind of go into a buffet, we take these commands of Jesus because we like him, but we leave these other ones behind because we don't like him. So are you going to follow him or to obey him completely or selectively? Second thing, are you going to follow him quickly or slowly? You know, when Jesus went and called the disciples in Matthew chapter 4, he went to two sets of brothers, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and he called them, and the Bible says in each case, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They obeyed quickly. In Matthew chapter 8, he's going to go up to two other people and call them to follow him, and they say, well, I can't do it right now. Just let me wait about 40 years till my mom and dad die. Then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus says, listen, is, is the good followers, the better fans, are the ones who say, I'm going to obey, and I'm going to obey quickly. The ones that aren't so good are the ones that say, I'm going to obey reluctantly. And the final question to ask yourself in terms of of how will I follow is this. Will I follow joyfully or grudgingly? You know, when I look at the story of Palm Sunday, look at uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 29, because the story doesn't believe with Jesus sitting on a donkey riding into Jerusalem. It begins before that. It begins with something called radical obedience. And listen to what it says. Luke 19, 29 It says, when Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, okay? Directive number one. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it here, directive number two. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say, directive number three, the Lord has need of it. What was Jesus' agenda for these two disciples that that are on this mission on Palm Sunday morning? Threefold agenda. Number one is this, go where I tell you to go, into the nearby village. Objective number two on Jesus' agenda, do what I tell you to do. Untie this colt, bring it to me. And look at the third directive. Directive number three is, say what I tell you to say. If anybody asks, just say, the Lord has need of it. Now I want you to look at the next verse, verse 32. And so how did they do? It says, so those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. Friends, on this day, Palm Sunday morning, these two disciples on this day get an A. Why? Because they practiced the art of radical obedience. They went where Jesus told them to go. They did what Jesus told them to do. And they said what Jesus told them to say. Guys, that is his agenda for you and I as well. You know, one of the things we need to to recognize is that the litmus for love from Jesus' point of view is, are we going to obey him or not? John 14, 15, Jesus, in in just a a day or two after he comes riding into town on this donkey, is he says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And John, Jesus' disciple, says this. 1 John 5 2 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So, first thing God wants you to know is this if you're going to be a highly devoted follower of Jesus, it begins with you saying, I am going to practice the art of radical obedience. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Number two is this second sign of a, of a follower, a highly uh, committed follower of Jesus, is this they announce their affection and their connection. Rexanne talked about that a little bit in in, in her testimony up front here, is that you have to announce your affection and your connection. In other words, if you are a true follower, a true fan, you want people to know about the one that you're following. You know, uh, when I was in sixth grade, uh, I grew up in Chicago. I was a big-time follower of the Chicago White Sox. In fact, um, in Chicago, everybody follows uh, the Chicago Cubs. Guess what? I'm the only one that followed the White Sox out there. So I was a, a Chicago White Sox fan. But in sixth grade, our family moved to St. Louis. And when I was in St. Louis, my dad one one night decided that he was going to take our family to a nice dinner, and so we went to a restaurant called Stan Musial and Biggie's in St. Louis. Now, Stan Musial was one of the greatest baseball players of all time, and he played for the St. Louis Cardinals. As we walked in that restaurant, I walked into the restaurant wearing a Chicago White Sox hat, a Chicago White Sox jacket, and a Chicago White Sox t shirt. I walked in there, sat down, ate the meal, and my dad, halfway through the meal, says, Hey, Mike, look over there by the front of the restaurant. That's Stan Musial, Hall of Famer for the St. Louis Cardinals. Why don't you go over and ask for his autograph? <laughs> so, I did. I walked up and asked for his autograph. He was incredibly gracious. He got out a beautiful eight-by-ten black-and-white picture. He personalized it to Mike, best wishes, Stan Musial. And he handed it to me. And right before he turned loose the picture, he looked at me and he says, kid, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> True story. And I said, no, I'm not. And I proceeded to, to make an announcement to Stan Musial, Stan the Man Musial. I said, hey, I grew up in Chicago." And I announced to him my affection for the Chicago White Sox and my connection to the Chicago White Sox. Guys the story of Palm Sunday is a story of people who are following Jesus but they're not doing secretly they're doing it publicly and they're announcing their affection they're announcing their connection to him look at what it says next verse 35 it says and as he Jesus was going the people were spreading their coats on the ground as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen which they had seen shouting blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, if Jesus really is our King, we need to let other people know about it. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus said this in Luke 12, 8. He said, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before man, the Son of Man, will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And so what Jesus wants us to know is this. Listen, if you're going to be my follower, it's easy to say, but first thing I want you to do is that I want you to practice the art of radical obedience. Second thing, I don't want you to do this covertly, I want you to do it overtly. I want you to announce your affection and your connection to me. But here's the third thing I want you to write down. third thing Palm Sunday teaches us is this, is that highly devoted followers of Jesus, number three, long to learn about and from Jesus. If you're going to be a highly devoted follower of Jesus, you long to learn about Jesus, and you long to learn from Jesus. Now, one characteristic uh, of a true fan is true fans want to know more about the person they're following, don't they? Uh, one of the things that, that we have nowadays that we didn't have even 15 years ago is, is, is these things. It's inst- we, we have uh, some, On social media, we have something called Facebook. How many here have Facebook? you got a Facebook Up, put your hands up there. Okay, how many have Twitter? That's the next one. Okay, I'm not a Twitter guy either. How about the last one, Instagram? A few people have, have that. Well, nowadays, if people are fans of something, they opt in and they want to learn and, about the lives of these particular people. And so on Facebook, uh, the number one uh, for When it comes to people following, is Samsung, uh, the big phone company, electronic 159 million people follow them on Facebook. That's number one. Cristiano Ronaldo is number two. I, I didn't even know who he was. He's a soccer player from Portugal originally. He, he plays in Italy now. Real Madrid, it's a, it's a soccer team, 109 million people. And, and Coca-Cola, now that's worth following right there. 107 people follow them. If you look at Twitter, uh, Katy Perry, 107 million people follow her, the singer. Then uh, Ju- Barack Obama and Justin Bieber tied 105 million Rihanna uh, with 90 million, and then Instagram, Cristiano Ronaldo, the soccer player, 160 million, then Ariana Grande, 150, Selena Gomez, 140, another singer, and finally somebody I know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, 137 million people follow him. Guys, why do all these people do that? They do it because when you're a huge fan of someone is that you long to learn more about them. And that's exactly what's going to happen here on Palm Sunday with Jesus, is after Jesus rides into the city, city uh, uh, on this donkey, that night he's going to go back out, but the next morning he's going to come back into town, and he's going to go teach in the temple. And I want you to listen to what happens. Luke 21, verse 37, it says, And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. You see, if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus, it's going to be important that you long to learn more about him. And how do you do that? Three different ways. You do it by spending tons of time with him. You do it by spending tons of time with him in prayer. Secondly, you do it by reading his biography. One of the things I would encourage all of you to consider doing this Holy Week is to go to the book of John and and read John chapter 12 through 21. The last half of the book of John all is devoted to the last week of the life of Jesus on earth. You're reading the biography of Jesus. You long to learn, you long to listen, and you long to spend time with Jesus. And the final thing you can do is you can associate with people who know him well. And so we've seen three things so far. And Palm Sunday reveals that these highly devoted followers of Jesus did all three of these. But we come to number four and guess what? They didn't do this very well, and why? Because we don't do this one very well as as well. Listen to what number four is. Number four is this, highly devoted followers, highly committed followers of Jesus. Number four, they maintain their commitment when times are tough. They maintain their commitment when times are tough. You know, guys, it's no mystery that when your team is winning is, man, fans are everywhere, but when your team is losing, they're few and far between, aren't they? In fact, I was thinking about this a little bit this week, and I looked at uh, some statistics, attendance statistics, and in 1997, uh, the best team uh, in in the United States when it came to baseball was the Florida Marlins. In fact, they won the World Series in 1997, but I've got a couple of attendance figures for you. In 1997, they won 92 games, and they lost 70. They won the World Series, and that year, 2.4 million people attended their home games. That's roughly 30,000 people per game attended the year they were winners. But last year, they were one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball. Last year, they only won 63 games. They lost 98. They finished last in the division. And all year long, only 811,000 people attended their games. So they went from an average game attendance of 30,000 fans to 10,000 fans. Do the math on that. It means that two out of every three fans abandoned ship when they went from being winners to losers, when they went from times are great to times are tough. And friends, it's one of the things that the story of Palm Sunday always reminds me of. When I I got invited to go ahead and and speak on Palm Sunday, I love this opportunity because you know what is on Palm Sunday, we see that on this day, Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, tens and perhaps hundreds of thousands of people lined the streets. The New Testament tells us that Jesus was at the peak of his popularity. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead and his rep was everywhere. the 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 ancient uh, the ancient historian Josephus tells us that there were about three million people that were there for the Passover in Jerusalem. Is the party was packed and everybody's singing Hosanna. Everybody's laying their coats down in front of Jesus. Everybody's waving palm trees. That's on Sunday. Five days later, Jesus is on a cross. Where are they? They're nowhere to be found. And the reason for that is, guys, the hardest part of being a faithful, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ is in a culture that's becoming hostile towards Christianity. Will you maintain your commitment when times are tough? Guys, we're entering a place like that, I believe, in our world where those of us who follow Jesus are going to have to kind of put our money where our mouth is. And we're going to have to say, Lord, With your help, I want to maintain my commitment to you when I'm made fun of for my faith, when I'm persecuted for my faith, when I don't get my job that I want because of my faith. God, I'm still going to follow you. That is the real mark of a fully devoted follower of Christ. Friends, we've seen four things today, this Palm Sunday. God has a message for us. It spells the word palm. First of all, you want to be a highly devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It begins with obedience. You've got to practice the art of radical obedience. You've got to answer the question, who will I follow, how will I follow? Second thing you've got to do is this. You have to go from covert to overt in your faith. You have to announce your affection and your connection to Jesus. Don't be obnoxious about it, but share that. When these dear friends came today and were baptized, they were making a public proclamation of their affection and connection to Jesus. Third thing we must do is we must long to learn from and to learn about Jesus. It's an ongoing process. But maybe the toughest part of all is this. You, you have to maintain your commitment when times are tough and the road gets rough. You know, as I close up today, I want to share with you a story that occurred to me when I was a 28-year-old kid. I, I looked up here today, and my son Jordan was one of the guys baptizing someone. I, I, I love this. is the uh, Britta who, who my son Jordan baptized. I dedicated her as a baby. And to be able to see this, this full circle, and, and, and as I, I looked at this, I was about Jordan's age, a couple years older, I was 28, and, and I was in a class, a PhD class uh, in, in Denton, Texas, and it was kind of one of those weekend intensive classes. And, and I was taking this class uh, with the guy who was my best friend. In fact, I had lunch with him on Tuesday this past week. A guy named John Trent. Some of you know John. He lives here in the valley. And John was a couple years older than me, and so he and I were sitting there uh, about halfway back in in the class. There's about 150 people in this class, all PhD and master's students, and and it's a secular psychology class. And specifically, this class was on uh, what is your philosophy of counseling, and specifically, it was looking at at what is your philosophy of humanistic psychology and, and, and existential psychology. So kind of a philosophical class. About uh, halfway through this class, on this particular Saturday, the instructor up front started going off on Christianity, and pretty soon all the other students started speaking up, and and it became a free-for-all, everybody picking on Christianity and on on, on just how preposterous it is and and, and how damaging it it is to to counseling and psychology, and they were going after it, and and John and I, who had both been to seminary, John was a couple years ahead of me, John, uh, I, I looked over at my best friend, John, and I said, John, John man, I wish Billy Graham were here. (laughs) John looked at me, and he smiled and nodded his head. About five minutes, they continued the free-for-all, beating up Christianity. I looked over at John, and I said, buddy, John, I go, I wish Charles Ryrie were here. Now, some of you don't know Charles Ryrie, but but he was uh, uh, the professor. He was the head of the systematic theology department, the seminary we went to, uh, one, one of the first guys to write one of the study Bibles, a brilliant thinker. And John looked at me and says, yeah, I wish he was here too. About five minutes later, the free-for-all continued, and I poked John. I go, John, I wish Norman Geisler was here. Now, Norman Geisler was one of the, the leading experts in America in the area of apologetics at the time and, and, a, and a devout Christian guy. And, and, but this time when I poked John and said, John, I wish Norman Geisler was here, he didn't smile and nod his head and say, I agree. This time John looked at, looked at me. I was 28, he was 30, and he said three words I've never forgotten. And here's what he said. John, I, I, I wish Norman Geisler was here. And John turns to me and he says, Look. We're it. I hate it when John's right. You know what happened next? We both put our hands up, and in a crowd of 150, roughly, people who were fairly hostile towards Christianity, John and I began as a couple of 20- and 30-year-old kids trying to defend our faith and trying to tell people about the real, live Jesus who rode into town 2,000 years ago on a colt. And at the end of of, of that class, at at, at the lunch break or or whenever the little break took place, is one of the things we noticed was this. Was first of all that the crowd that was there became a little less hostile. But also there were four or five other followers of Jesus that were in that class that came up to us afterwards and said, you know, we were hoping somebody would speak up. Guys, I've never forgotten that. And and my my encouragement, my challenge to you is this week 6,000 people who attend all the services at Scottsdale Bible Church are going to go out into their respective worlds, their their schools, their jobs, their neighborhoods, their families. And friends, the reality is Billy Graham's not coming. You're it. And his declaration to you is if you want to be a highly devoted follower of me, I need you to go ahead and to maintain your commitment to me when times are tough And people aren't crazy about you being a follower of Jesus. I want you to to go out there and I want you to announce your affection and your connection to other people. And in so doing, you will be a highly devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, 2,000 years ago, your son Jesus began Holy Week by riding into a city on a donkey. It was the perfect blend of humility and royalty. And Lord, that lesson tells us today that, listen, you are looking for followers today, highly devoted disciples. And Lord, my prayer is that you would help each one of us to practice what we preach, to to practice these four principles. Help us, Father, to to, to go ahead and and practice the art of radical obedience this week, and may we follow you the right way. Help us, Father, this week to be bold, to announce publicly, to uh, announce our affection, our connection with you. May we be faithful, Father, and may we long to learn about Jesus and from Jesus. And Lord, give us this courage and the background and the boldness and the protection we need in order to maintain a commitment when times are tough. Father, we love you. We thank you for this wonderful day and these wonderful folks who have been baptized. And we ask your continued hand of blessing upon them. And all who follow your son, Jesus, the King of kings, and all of God's people said, Amen.